Thank you very much. Let's take God's word together this evening and turn to the New Testament book of 1 Timothy chapter 3. And as well, we'll be looking together at 1 Peter. Now, we began several weeks ago to, be, to consider the leadership of a New Testament church. We've been looking at the scriptures, and really we've only, only had two sermons on this. We looked uh, first considering Christ Jesus as our servant. And our Savior told us that he that would be greatest amongst us would be servant of all. And the measure of greatness amongst the, the people of God is not in how many people serve you, but how many people you serve. Now, would you look here for a moment? Are you serving anyone besides yourself? The measure of greatness in the eyes of God is not how many people serve you, but how many people you serve. Christ Jesus said, For even the Son of Man came not to be ministered to, but to give his life a ransom for many. That was the first thing we looked at. Then if you remember, we looked at what the scriptures tell us about the title of a shepherd. Jesus, the great shepherd of our soul. That's where we get the word pastor. It is synonymous. It means the same thing. It means a shepherd. And we look to Jesus as our great example, how he leads the flock and he feeds the flock, how he helps to hend uh, heal and mend the flock. And we come to another word in the New Testament that describes leadership in the local church. It is the word bishop. A lot of people don't like that word, but it is there. Nonetheless, I'll explain it in a moment. But let's look together first at 1 Timothy chapter 3. We'll look together at the first seven verses. And uh, then we'll go to 1 Peter and just look at one verse uh, together in just a moment. But 1, Peter, 1 Timothy chapter 3, this is a true saying. If a man desire the office of a bishop, he desireth a good work. A bishop then must be blameless, the husband of one wife, vigilant, sober, of good behavior, given to hospitality, apt to teach, not given to wine, no striker, not greedy of filthy lucre, but patient, not a brawler, not covetous, one that ruleth well his own house, having his children in subjection with all gravity. For if a man know not how to rule his own house, how shall he take care of the church of God? Not a novice, lest being lifted up with pride, he fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must have a good report of them which are without, lest he fall into reproach and the snare of the devil." 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 to 7. Now flip over to 1 Peter chapter 2, if you would. We'll look together again at the last two verses of the chapter, verse 24 and verse 25 of 1 Peter chapter 2. Who his own self, Jesus Christ, who his own self bare our sins in his own body on the tree, that we being dead to sins should live unto righteousness, by whose stripes ye were healed. For ye were as sheep going astray, but are now returned unto the shepherd and bishop of your souls. Today we're going to look at this truth, and there's some great meat in this today, and I hope to encourage you with it and challenge you at the same time. Now I'll say this, for any measure, any form of leadership in the church, our example is Jesus Christ. As much as I love church history and some of the historical figures I quote often, refer to often, the greatest example is Jesus Christ himself. 
He is the bishop of our souls. We're going to look at this word bishop in the context of leading and working in a church. You might say, well, I, our church doesn't have a bishop, does it? Well, it does. We just don't call him a bishop. And uh, we'll look to that here tonight together. The word bishop comes from the English word, the old English word, biscayop, which was taken from the late Latin word, which was episcopus which was taken from the Greek word we find here, which is episcopus. So bishop in the English is through the line exactly what you find in the Greek. And it means, literally means overseer. You might say, well, why didn't they just write overseer in the scriptures? Well, they did in a sense when they translated it from, from Greek to Latin and then from Latin to English. That's how we got the word bishop. Now, let's talk about this word for just a moment. We're going to talk about three things tonight. Number one, the office of a bishop. Uh, Paul writes to Timothy, a young man, by the way, who he's, he's, he's giving these instructions to. He, he gave these same instructions to Titus about ordaining elders. And uh, I'll say this again. We believe that there is really, uh, these, are, these are words that describe the same position. Uh, pastor, shepherd, bishop. Elder, we would say, are synonymous, interchangeable words for position found in the New Testament. Now, the office of a bishop, he that desires the office. This is very important. That's a different word in the Greek altogether. That is one word in the Greek, the office of a bishop. That means this, that the pastor or the bishop or the overseer is a specific calling and office. It's not just something we throw around. We don't just say, oh, there's... Uh, little pastor such a one and little bishop such a one. It is a designated office in the church. In Acts chapter 1 verse 20, you find the word literally translated bishopric. The office of a bishop, that's what it means. Now it's important, it tells us that there is an office that needs to be filled. It's a charge or a duty, a position of authority and responsibility. There are some churches who don't want to have any kind of leadership. But we find there is an office, God-given responsibility and authority. What is it? Well, we find the definition of what a bishop is when you break down the word. The Greek word episkopos is really two words, epi and skopos. Now, the word skopos is where we get the word scope from. You heard that before? If you have ever been shooting, you may put a scope on your gun. Or you may look through a microscope or a telescope. Or maybe you've gone in and you've had to see one of those little cameras called an endoscope or an endoscopy. And the word scope literally means to look at. And that's what the word bishopric means. When you put epi, that word means over or upon. Uh, for instance, epidermis, top layer of your skin, the skin over. Uh, epicenter, that's the place in the, in, the, in the earth where, over the earth where the earthquake begins. And so episcopus, episcopus literally means someone who is looking over the affairs and the people of the church. That's what it means. An overseer. I didn't have to, I could have just said overseer, right? That would have been a whole lot simpler. That's what it means. Someone looking over the affairs of the church. Now, this is very encouraging. Listen to this. Very interesting. The word episcopus was a very common word in the days of the early church. Just like shepherd was a common word. Everybody knew what a shepherd was. We don't have as many shepherds today, but then 
shepherd was a common role and responsibility, and it identified the children of God as being the sheep of God. We are the sheep of his pasture, right? So we understand that shepherd identifies us as the sheep of God's pasture, a very common word, and episcopus was also a very common word. It was a military term. Now, I like this. Because nothing is said accidentally in Scripture. When God gives a title over, over a minister for a minister as a shepherd, it gives us a very vivid picture of what a, shepherd, a minister should be to the congregation. Looking after them, leading them, feeding them, uh, taking care, warning them, protecting them. But when we have this word, bishop, it gives us a different picture of what a minister should be. An episcopus was a, a military, a high-ranking military off officer with two responsibilities. His first responsibility was to look over a particular subject state of an empire. So he would have this city or this uh, locale, you could say. By the way, uh, how many of you have ever heard of the, the uh, Episcopalian church? That's where they get that word from. They're led by bishops. And they divide up a nation by different regions. And uh, the Church of England does the same thing. They'll have a bishop over a certain diocese. That's literally what they had in those days. A military high-ranking officer who was ruling over a particular diocese or, or, or governing over a particular state. But the second thing, now this is interesting. The second responsibility of an episcopus or a bishop in those days, in the world, since in the world, was that his job was to inspect the troops and to ensure that they were ready for battle. Think about that. A bishop in the days of Christ, in a governmental sense, in a military sense, was to govern the affairs of a particular nation state or, or, a, or a subject state, but also to make sure that the troops in that particular area were ready to fight. He, would ex he, was, he was expected to inspect them. Now we learn from that what a bishop of the local church ought to be doing. Governing over a particular subject state, a local church, local congregation, which is just part of a bigger empire, part of a bigger kingdom, which is the kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Do you remember what Peter writes in, in 1 Peter chapter 2? He says, you are a holy nation. And so in those days, they would have had, they would have had bishops of the land who were governing over particular subject states and, and perhaps the Roman Empire. Then they had spiritual bishops. Governing over local assemblies of believers. But the other part of that was they inspected the troops. You know what the minister of the local church ought to be, ought to be doing? Inspecting the troops. Looking out, looking over the affairs of the local church, but inspecting the troops, making sure that you are ready for battle. Would you look this way? If you have been born again by the blood of Jesus Christ... If you have new life in the Savior, you are a soldier. So this word, the word shepherd, identifies us with the flock of God. This word identifies us with the army of the living God. We are his sheep, but we're also his soldiers. And as a soldier, you ought to be ready for battle. Are you listening? Are you tonight ready for spiritual battle? I remind you, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. Are you yourself 
ready for battle. Now, let's be honest. Most of us don't like inspection of any kind, do we? I really don't like to be inspected. I'm sure you don't either. If I'm doing a job, if, if you are, are a man that works with your hands, maybe you're a builder or a plumber or an electrician or, or something of the sort, a block paver, roofer, whatever it may be, I don't know about you, but when I'm working, I really don't like people to stand there and watch me. I want to be able to get on with it. I really like to be able to get on with it without somebody breathing down my neck. We don't really like inspection. But the truth is, if we're doing our job properly, we shouldn't mind it too much. And so it goes with our spiritual walk with God. We ought to be willing and open for inspection. Now, can I just say, I remind you that the great bishop of our souls is Jesus Christ, our Savior. His inspection is what matters the most. But God has given us earthly overseers to watch over our souls. Hebrews chapter 13, verse number 17 tells us very, very plainly, verse number uh, 7, pardon me. Remember them which have the rule over you who have spoken unto you the word of God. That's not talking about prime ministers. That's talking about ministers of the gospel. Remember them which have the rule over you who have spoken unto you the word of God whose faith follow considering the end of their conversation, we're told. Now we're told to remember them, and you read on through the passage of Scripture, and you come to another verse, verse 17, that says, Obey them. Verse 16, But, do, but to do good and to communicate forget not, for with such sacrifices God is well pleased. Obey them that have the rule over you, and submit yourselves, for they watch for your souls, as they that must give an account, that they may do it with joy and not with grief. Do you know a, this high-ranking military officer in the days of Jesus Christ, an episcopus who would go and look over the troops of his particular area. He had to make sure that they were inspected and ready for battle. He had to give an account for those troops to his commanding officer. And so it is with the ministers of the local church, the bishops of the local church, we must give an account of you to our Savior. And so the scriptures tell us, with great emphasis, obey them that have the rule or the guide over you and submit yourselves for they watch for your souls. Now, we're living in a day, a generation, where there's been so much abuse in churches. I know that. There's been so much abuse from the pulpit and from Christian leadership that nobody anymore wants to follow anybody. We're afraid of that, aren't we? And uh, we say, well, I'm not following anybody but Jesus. And I understand that. I, I'll be the first one to tell you. You must follow Jesus first and foremost. But we are told in God's word that God has given to the church certain officers, certain people to lead. Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. And there is a measure with this, a measure of accountability, which is so important. There's accountability in the body of Christ. In the family of God. There is an inspection that is expected in the body. Do you know why? That's why a lot of people jump churches. They go from one church to the next church to the next because they have the liberty. When they do that, they're not accountable to anybody and they can live any way they want to live and they're never ever under anybody's authority but their own. The scriptures tell us God has given us for our good, 
for our good. He's given us a measure of authority and leadership to watch over our souls. Now, when people start demanding you give money and start asking you to do silly things, and it's time for you to hit the road, find a different church. But if a minister or someone is genuinely concerned for your soul, and they're not trying to, trying to take advantage of you, but they're concerned about your walk with Jesus and concerned about the way you're living, that's what this is all about. It's not about looking into your bank account. It's not about uh, putting your nose in someone's business, but it's about helping someone walk with Jesus. That's what it's about. And if you're not willing to let somebody have that authority over you, you will always be a loose cannon. Always. That's the job of a bishop. Now, tonight I'm not going to look at all the qualifications. I want to read through them again. 1 Timothy 3. Next week we'll look at them. There's a list of 16, 17, depending on how you divide them up. But look at them with me, please. In 1 Timothy 3, a bishop must be blameless. Husband of one wife, vigilant, sober, of good behavior, given to hospitality, apt or able to teach, not given to wine, no striker, not greedy of filthy lucre, but patient, not a brawler, not covetous, one that ruleth well his own house, having his children in subjection with all gravity. You can put those two together or, or, or separate them if you want. For if a man know not how to rule his own house, how shall he take care of the church of God? Not a novice, lest being lifted up with pride, he fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must have a good report of them which are without, lest he fall into reproach and into the snare of the devil. That's quite a hefty list. Had a man come to me, the first Sunday we opened the chapel in Jericho. And he presented himself to me and said, I'm ready to be your assistant pastor. I said, hello, pardon me, my name's Derek, what's yours? I said, look around, there's only 12 people here today. I don't know who these people are. One is my wife, one, one is my baby boy, and a couple of students. The rest of the folk, I don't really need an assistant pastor right now. But he wanted a title and a position. And anyways, he hung out for a little while and he was still adamant that he wanted a title. So what I did is I wrote all of these qualifications down on a card. And I gave it to him. We taped it to the front of his Bible like I've done to mine. And I said, when you have fulfilled these qualifications, come talk to me. A couple of them he was lacking in. These are the qualifications for a bishop. This is such an important office. Not because I'm in it. But it is such an important office that you don't just slap people in it for the sake of it. Now, there are some people who would rather just get somebody into an office for the sake of it. I had a man call me a week or two ago saying, would you pray about helping our church? He said, we are in a very bad place. I'm one of the officers and I shouldn't be. I said, okay, thank you for your honesty. He said, we were in such a such a place, we were so desperate, the church was heading downhill quickly. We didn't know what to do, so they just started appointing people. I'm one, and she's one. I thought, oh boy, we're in trouble now. And so people in a rush, in a hurry to get officers, they just push people, squeeze people in. But there's a reason we've been given qualifications. They need to be looked at, considered, and next week we'll do that. But I want you to look at one more thing that is very important and closely connected to this office of a bishop. And this is the inspection part. 
Now, I'm not talking about me coming to your house this week and sitting down with my notebook and my pen and a set of questions and saying, okay, let me ask you, how many chapters did you read in your Bible this week? Maybe I should. I don't know. Maybe I should. I'm talking about something different. I want you to look with me, please, at Luke chapter 19, because we find the same Greek word in Luke chapter 19, and it will open your eyes a little bit more to what this inspection is all about. Luke chapter 19, the Lord Jesus is speaking, and he's speaking about a very important event. Luke 19, verse 41, And when he was come near, he beheld the city, and he wept over the city, saying, If thou hadst known, even thou, at least in this thy day, the things which belong unto thy peace, but now they are hid from thine eyes. For the days shall come upon thee that thine enemies shall cast a trench about thee and compass thee round and keep thee in on every side and shall lay thee even with the ground and thy children within thee and they shall not leave in thee one stone upon another. Speaking about Jerusalem. And watch this. They shall not leave in thee one stone upon another because thou knewest not the time of thy visitation. You did not know the time of your visitation. That's the same word as episcopus, inspection. You did not realize that the time of your visitation is at hand. I want to talk to you about it. Another day that this day should be preparing us for. As a child of God, you should be aware that there is coming a great day of inspection. There is coming a great day of visitation. A day of reckoning. It is referred to as that day or the day of judgment. And on that day, would you look this way, if you are not ready, I'm telling you, you will be greatly disappointed. A day when Jesus Christ himself shall roll back all the facades of your life. Every mask that is being worn today, whether it be in government offices or in pulpits up and down the land, every ma mask of hypocrisy will be ripped from our faces. And on that day, there will be no hiding. That's the day... That reveals it all. And so when the local bishop was going to his subject state. And making sure his troops were ready for battle. That inspection was nothing. The real inspection was when the battle kicked off. But if this inspection didn't happen. Then on that day it would be revealed that they weren't ready. So that the daily inspection is so important. The daily searching the the daily sharpening, the daily opening the word and reading is so important because on that day when Jesus returns, you'll never be able to back it up and do it again. And so the job of a bishop is to say, get ready for that day. And we do that by getting ready today with an inspection now, by examining ourselves now. By getting serious now. People all the time, or especially today, the world is constantly trying to pull us away from a sober-mindedness, a seriousness, a urgency. The world is constantly trying to pull us away from that. 
but the spirit of the living God is trying to thrust us into it, knowing that that great day is coming. We find it again in 1 Peter chapter 2. At the last verse, we find that Jesus is the bishop of our souls. But in verse number 12, we find the same word again. The same word that's bishop is found in verse 12. Having your conversation honest amongst the Gentiles, that whereas they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works, which they shall behold, glorify God in the day of visitation. Same word. Day of inspection. Day of examination. Are you ready for that day? Would you look here? Would you look this way? Are you ready for that day when the books will be opened? Can I tell you, if you're not ready right now, then you're, you're not ready. If you say, give me a week, I'll get ready. Give me a month, I'll get, i got to get myself ready. I know that, thank you. I'm going to go get my, no, no, you got to get ready now. Because that day is coming when you least expect it, like a thief in the night, when you are at sleep, when you're slumbering, when you're taking it easy, when you're taking a holiday, spiritually speaking, when you're, when you're distracted by other things. That's when that day comes. You have got to be ready now. And my job and the job of every other spiritual leader, by the way, if you are in a church, where the spiritual leadership never challenges you to look at yourself and examine yourself and to get right and get ready, you ought to find a new church. Because by definition of the title bishop, it is our job to inspect you daily that you might be prepared for that great day. Are you ready? Are you ready? Zacharias, you remember... Zacharias rejoiced because he saw that the day of visitation was coming, had come. Well, he knew that Jesus had come the first time. But can I tell you when he comes the second time? That is the climax of the ages. And we should be living like he could come right now. Now. Are you ready? Are you ready? That's a day of examination. And to get ready for that day, Philip came. Many of you know Philip Smith, our dear brother, who recently moved up to Liverpool. He was here on the weekend, but he had to sit his final exams for his Ph.D. at Oxford. Do you know that every exam previous, prior to that, was only preparation for that one? All the other studying, sleepless nights and, and, uh, and the gallons of coffee. I don't know if Philip drinks coffee, but all of that preparation was pushing him towards that one last final exam. We're headed there now. And it's sooner than you can imagine. Every once in a while, it's good to shake yourself. Every once in a while, it's good to take a dip in an ice-cold lake and wake yourself up. To recognize you're running out of time. And it's my job and the job of Christian leaders in the church today to inspect you. To make sure you're ready for the battle. Are you ready? Are you ready? We'll look next week at the qualifications. There's nothing worse than a hypocrite telling you to be ready. 
and not ready himself. Let's pray together and we'll sing our final hymn. Father, we bow our knees tonight in submission to thy word. Help us tonight to look, to examine, to see if we're ready. Oh, forgive us, Lord. Forgive me for time wasted. May we let thy spirit deeply search us. We might throw off those sins and weights that thus so easily beset us, Lord. Help us to run with patience the race that is set before us. Help us to sharpen one another. Help us to be willing, Lord, to allow others to challenge us when needed. May we be ready, daily ready for battle. Ready for battle against the foe, but also ready we might see our dear Savior face to face. That at his appearing we should have no shame, but that we should have rejoicing in joy alone. Help us now, we pray. Help us to shake off those things that are tripping us up, binding us up. Help us to run. We ask it in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.